Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yes, and as usual, don't forget, all of those questions that are going through your mind as you're reading along or you're listening to us, we want to hear them because we want to answer them. Uh, The last Friday of every month, we take a a special podcast for you uh, and just answer all those questions that your little hearts desire to know answers to. So feel free to send them in. You can send them in at infogrove.church or you can DM our Facebook page with all of those wonderful questions. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get into this week's Bible talk. Aaron, oh, that was my cue. That I was totally your, missed my cue. It's all good. See, normally Evan will always launch in first, and so I'm just uh, trained to wait for Evan to talk, talk first. But I took over. I decided I'm going to do a different uh, different launching point. So as we jump in this week, we are going to be reading uh, a Second Kings. Kings. We're going to read Second Kings and Second Chronicles this week, uh, and they're both actually highlighting the same king uh, of Judah. And so we're just going to take a few moments and kind of work through the, the king's name. His name is Hezekiah. Uh, it's a really good child's name for any of you who are pregnant and expecting a boy. Uh, Hezzy is a Hezzy. great nickname. Uh, you could call him Ezzy if you want to get rid of the H for a little. Anyways, Kaya. or you call Kaya or Ezek. I don't know, whatever. Anyways, uh, but Hezekiah, who uh, is actually one of the good kings. I mean, I feel like every time we've talked about Second Kings or Chronicles lately, it's always been about bad, stupid, mean, horrible right. kings. Uh, and so Hezekiah uh, is a king that I love. And I'm just going to kind of break it down for you because the, the approach that Second Kings takes and the Second Chronicles takes is a little bit of a different focus. And so I think I'm going to just, I want us to understand and see these, and then I'll read you kind of a quick snip, uh, a snip from uh, Second Kings here. And so uh, in Second Kings, Hezekiah, uh, he's now presented uh, not merely uh, as a king who's similar to David, like Asa and Jehoshaphat, but he actually resembles David more closely than any other Davidic king so far. Uh, it's this Hezekiah is a king who reforms Judean worship, uh, making it what it should be and whose trust is vindicated uh, as the Assyrians fail to take Jerusalem as they have already taken Samaria. Uh, and so Second Kings actually takes a really big focus on Hezekiah's role uh, when Assyria, uh, the Assyrian issue is what it is, uh, the, the, the battle, the fight that happens in 701 uh, BC. In Second Chronicles, as he talks about Hezekiah, he actually, the chronicler devotes more attention to Hezekiah's reign than any other king since David and Solomon. Uh, it doesn't have a lot in common with Second Kings, which focuses on, like I said, the Assyrian crisis, uh, and the, because the Chronicle is more primarily interested in presenting Hezekiah as a restorer and a reformer of Judah's worship. Uh, most of his account in the, in the Chronicles is devoted to describing the cleansing of the temple and the restoration of worship after Ahaz's apostasy, where Ahaz literally leads God's people away to worship idols and Baal uh, and just a stupid bad things. Classic Ahaz. Jerk. Don't name any kid after that name. Hezekiah is the name you want to go for if you're going to choose a name here. Um, and then it's the other thing, too, we see in Chronicles, it's after uh, the restoration of worship, we see this national celebration uh, during Hezekiah's reign of the Passover. Uh, it shows Hezekiah's successful resistance to Sennacherib uh, and, the, and the prosperity of Hezekiah's kingdom. Uh, and in this presentation of Hezekiah, it combines literally the traits of David and Solomon, uh, especially in the rededication of the temple and uh, setting up and organizing the priests and the Levites to tend and care for God's temple. So the idea of worship 
is pretty prevalent uh, in, in Kings and in Chronicles, but more so in Chronicles. Uh, but he is he is a great king. He's a king that, king that does a really good thing, is the closest to, to resembling and seeing some similarities in David. Uh, and so I'm going to read 2 Kings 18, just verses 1 through 8, so we get to the introduction to Hezekiah. But as you read in 2 Kings and Chronicles this week, it really is going to be taking time to, to understand and see clearly uh, the story of this king named Hezekiah. Uh, but it says this in verse 1 of, of 2 Kings 18. It says, In the third year of Is, uh, Israel's king Hosea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. So Hezekiah stepped away from what his father did and did something a lot better. He was a better king. Uh, verse 2 says he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, which is a really great name. Uh, that's my daughter's name, so I have no issues with that. Uh, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. See the connection, the parallel. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze stake that Moses made, for until then uh, the Israelites were burning incense to it. Uh, it was called Nehushtan. Uh, so this refers to a story in, in earlier on in the Old Testament. Moses made this bronze serpent because that's what God told him so that it would be healing. Now the people started worshiping that bronze snake instead of being reminded of God's provision and healing. Verse 5 continues, says, Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, and wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. It did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its borders from watchtower to fortified city. And so we get to finally take a break from all the bad kings and the evil kings uh, and really see an incredible king uh, who even as it says in Second Kings, there was not another king like him after. And so it's a really fun story uh, to read and some history there too. Yeah, there's an interesting... Um... I love the way that the the Bible kind of divides the kings because there's kind of, oh, there's almost three categories because there's the uh, um, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord which is way too many of the kings that we've been reading about um, and then there's uh, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord um, but not like their father David yeah. had done and then there's they did what was right in the sight of the Lord like their father David had done um, and Hezekiah is one of the very few kings that gets the full kind of praise of. Of being like King David. And as we talked about um, forever ago, and it's, it seems like David was not a perfect man at no. all. Um, but what separated him from a lot of the other kings is the fact that he truly loved the Lord and he did what was right as, as often as he could. Yeah. Did he sin? Absolutely. But he repented um, and he led Israel towards worship of God in a way that um, obviously Solomon does not. And then many, many of his descendants fall into that category as well. So it's refreshing to see... Uh, Hezekiah, and there's there's one more good king, and then there's a lot of bad kings. So before we get to the end here, so let's stay on the high note. Right, we'll we'll keep it good on the king. high note. Yay, Hezekiah! <laughs> Yay, Hezekiah! Uh, this week we're also going to be highlighting uh, a section in First Corinthians. Uh, so we're going to be reading just a couple chapters this week. But really, I wanted to highlight um, a section in First First Corinthians chapter ten, and it's just ten verses, verses twenty three through thirty three. But it says this: um, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and are 
and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean that your conscience, for your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whatever you... Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantages, but that of many, that many may be saved. So if you remember last week, we talked a lot about um, the perspective of, of as Christians living in a way where we, um, we, we don't insult the church if that makes sense yeah. or we don't you know make the church less um, we don't make the name of god less but we really try to um, behave in such a way that people will look at the church they'll look at christ they'll look at all these different things and say like that is something that i want to be a part of this for these this section kind of goes along with that in a, in a similar way but really what paul is getting at is this idea that um and he says it in the very beginning all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So as Christians, um, we do believe, and we talked about this, I think it was actually in our first or second Q&A episode. So if you want to kind of get a deeper um, dive into why we don't necessarily follow every bit of Levitical law, uh, go back to that episode. But all that being said, as Christians, we believe that because of the work of Christ and, and what's been going on, that we're not bound um, to, you know, in particular, the dietary laws of the Old Testament, um, the cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. Um, really, we're only bound to the moral law because God's uh, morality does not change. But the the idea here is that as Christians, there's a balance in, in this statement. So all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And so there's very easy ways to... Um, to say that personally for all our lives, right, in ways that we can live out. There are things that are not overtly sinful um, that for different people are just not wise um, to engage in. And I think one of the um, uh, one of the easiest ones to, to, talk, to talk about is just alcohol in general, right? So uh, the Bible- Are you going there? So, are you gonna, you're going to talk I'm, about alcohol? I'm going there. Oh, shoot. Um, but no, like the Bible is pretty clear that it's, it's not a sin to drink. It talks about how, you know, don't, don't be given over to drunkenness. Don't become a drunkard. So obviously don't allow um, alcohol to possess you. Um, but there, I, I do know people where they just say, you know what? For me, I know my family and I know that they've struggled with this in the past. Or even like I know that I myself um, have struggled with addiction, all those different things. Um, so I choose not to be a part of it. And so there is this kind of balance of saying like, you know, just because something is not sinful doesn't mean that it's also wise to partake in. Yeah. And again, that can be different for every person, which is why Paul says, you know, my liberty is not determined by someone else's conscience. Um, but the other side of it, which I thought was interesting, is saying that um, all things are lawful, but it's also helpful to not engage in something for someone else. Um, and I, there's a few different, like, I guess, examples that you could go to, but, you know, say someone is just... I don't know what someone could be really offended by, but I guess if we just stick with the alcohol thing, like if you um, feel in your conscience totally free to drink and that's awesome, and then you go to someone's house and you know for a fact that they're ex that that they would just be extremely offended by that, then it's basically what Paul is saying is like, well, in that case, also it's worth it to just abstain from that so that you don't offend yeah. someone else. And there's other examples of that too. There's funny things that people kind of have, but at, at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is that as Christians, we are called. Um, to live a life of not giving offense unless it's necessary. And, and I, I do want to say unless it's necessary because there are 
um, to a certain extent, the gospel is offensive. Um, a lot of people are offended by the message of Jesus, and that's something that we can't shy away from. Um, but there is something where I, th- I think there's a, a mentality that we have to make sure that we have, where we don't just go in, uh, you know, kicking down the door and just saying, like, everything you believe sucks, and here's why. And all of a sudden, you know, you're just offending people, and they're never actually going to come and listen to you. So, and what Paul's saying is, as much as possible, he shapes his life um, with different people to not offend them, to live in a way um, that they will ac- accept him and then also present the gospel. And obviously those are two those are two different things on two different planes. But um I guess the main the main point I'm trying to say is that as Christians, we don't need to give offense when it's not necessary. We don't need to take offense when it's not necessary. All things are lawful, not all things are helpful. And we do need to make sure we're living um, in a way where for ourselves, we're making wise choices with mm-hmm. things that are not necessarily sinful, but also for others that we're making wise choices so that we can build strong relationships, so that we can be with people, so that honestly we can share the incredible good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, because that is really the end goal of everything. The end goal of, of our lives is to make the name of God great. And, and how silly is it to compromise that by just, you know, taking a stand on some issue that at the end of the day doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, again, I think you hear this and you'll see this all throughout first Corinthians and, and maybe it's just cause I brought it up and we talked about this weeks ago about first Corinthians. Um, but it's really not about us. It's really not about what, what we deem, what we think it's really about understanding we are the body of Christ and we are called to build each other up to make sure everyone's living uh, in alignment with truth. Um, I, I, I am even, I don't remember where it is, but I remember like we're, we're called to judge each other as followers of Christ. We're called to keep each other accountable. Um, and those outside of the faith, those who have yet to make a decision to, to follow Christ, it, it really isn't uh, our place to judge or determine whether or not they're worthy. It's to bring an invitation, which is where Paul is again saying like, I want to do everything possible to help people bring um people know Christ and know the truth of the gospel. Uh, and, and even in the book of John, we're going to see, uh, as, as we've kind of worked through the book of John so far, we're going to continue it obviously, but we see this picture of Jesus as the Messiah and even coming right after this, Evan bringing up first Corinthians, I, I want to take a moment and just talk about John chapter 14 for a second. Um, because I think as we're going to read it, it's Jesus literally making statements about who he is in the book of John. I talked about this a few weeks ago, the I am statements of Jesus. Um, but he literally makes a statement in John 14 and I'm just going to read verses one through seven for us real quick. Uh, but it says this, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And now I'm thinking of the audio adrenaline song, Big in Big House. Fa- oh, wait, that's the other one. Yeah, that's a different one. It's a big, 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 big house. house with lots and lots of rooms. There it's you go. Big, big house uh, with lots and lots of. Where we can play football. That's what it is. It's a, yeah. So, anyways, uh, it's an old school song. I grew up in the church and we have some weird songs sometimes, uh, just like the world has weird songs. Anyways, but he says this In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I wouldn't, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be, you know, uh, you know, the way to where I'm going. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says this, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my father for now. You do know him and you have seen him. And this, this picture of, of Jesus's statement, he's, he's, He's inviting everyone listening and reading, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You have an option to attend and to join me. Uh, but then Thomas is like, well, God, we don't know where you're going. 
And it's, he always knew that I'd say that's my Thomas, a grumpy voice, whatever. Classic Thomas. Stinking Thomas. Uh, but Jesus makes this clarifying line in the sand. I mean, even as Evan was talking about it, there's certain things that should bring offense. The gospel will bring offense because Jesus himself said, I don't come to bring peace, but a sword. Yeah, Jesus was crucified for the gospel. So obviously it's going to be offensive. Um, and so, but it's interesting because that that's Jesus point blank saying, listen, there is no other way. And in our own humanity, it's interesting to know how we always are looking for other ways to accomplish a task. I think that's one of the beauties of, of the millennial generation and even Gen Z. They're about productivity. They want to find new waves and new ways and pave new paths to accomplish a task. Why do it the way it's always been done when we can become more efficient or do it a new way? The problem with that approach in life is that it will bleed into our approach in faith. And Jesus himself says, there's no other way. I am the way. And that's going to create division. It has. Look at the world we live in. It's all the different faith systems, all the other different faith uh, ideas out there all hinge on what do you say about Jesus? When I get in conversations with people who are not of the Christian faith, I ask them about Jesus. What do you say about Jesus? Because he is the most divisive and inviting person I'm growing to know about. And I love the fact that Jesus says, if you know me, you know my father. And sometimes, how do I know who God is? Well, read the gospels. Get to know who Jesus was. Get to see his heart for people. uh, Because I just think that that's such an incredible tension to live in. Um, And so it's in that divisiveness, in that understand there's certain things that should bring offense. Yes, Jesus is going to be one of those people, but Jesus is also one of the most inviting individuals as well because of his grace and his love that he's lived in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that kind of leads really well into uh, what we're just talking about with uh, the book of Isaiah. And, and we kind of talked, we alluded to a little bit with uh, Chronicles and Kings into the reign of Hezekiah. Yeah. And Isaiah is, um, he's doing his ministry also during the reign of Hezekiah. So if you'll notice as we're reading through Isaiah, it's been a lot of kind of poetic uh, poetic diction, I guess you could say, but it's been going through um, multiple chapter after chapter. And then we get to a, a short passage of narrative. And so I wanted to read uh, just a little bit of the narrative because again, we talked about this idea that Hezekiah really is one of the uh, the few I, I guess you could call them like great kings of Israel as opposed yeah. to just like kind of the good ones. Um, but Hezekiah really does lead his people well. And then he gets some some devastating news. And so we're going to talk about that here. And so in Isaiah uh, verse chapter 38, verses 1 through 8, it says this, In those days, days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Which that's... I mean, that's a bummer. So yeah. that's that's not what you want to hear when you're sick. Um, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial 10 steps by which it had declined. It's an incredible story. I can't, I, I just try and visualize it as I'm reading it. Like that'd be so amazing to watch and see. Yeah. And I anyway, think, sorry. well, no, it's great. Like one of the big mistakes that we make 
when we read the Bible is that we kind of just gloss over things and we don't put ourselves into the situations of of the people that we're reading about. Um, and imagine just being that sick and de- despairing of all hope. And, and it's not just that Hezekiah um, doesn't want to die, although I'm sure that is part of it. Yeah. Um, but it's also the fact that, like you alluded to, there's this giant crisis. The Assyrians are coming and Hezekiah also wants to lead his people and, and say like, you know, like, God, we need to – I want to defend Jerusalem. I want to defend Judah. I want to keep this country safe. And, and God, in his mercy, knowing full well that um, the judgment of Judah is coming, there's yeah. pretty much no coming back from it, but he's willing to extend Hezekiah's life. And he, and, and you see this um, – you know, spoiler, we see this with Josiah as well, who's the – Oh, come on. I know, the last, uh, the last great king of Judah. But on two separate occasions, God really is willing to um, – postpone his wrath that is just and is coming um, because the people of God have repented and turned yeah. back towards him. And, and that's what we see here in this reign of, in the, in the story of Hezekiah. And so um, he lives um, another 15 years after this, and you can actually see a lot of the defenses that he makes in Jerusalem for this. Um, I, f- I forgot what they're called, but I think they're called like the tunnels of Hezekiah, but you can go to Jerusalem today and you can see this massive network of tunnels that were writ- that were, um, that were built really to defend the city. And, and that's a lot of the, um, um, granted, not necessarily, I guess the spiritual legacy of Hezekiah, but, um, there is an archeological legacy to him that is still there to this day, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, and I'd never thought about, um, even the motivation behind his like, God, please don't let me die. Uh, and it's not to be insensitive to maybe individuals that, you know, as you're listening, like just come to mind, like people get bad news all the time from doctors. People get bad news all the time. Like you've, you've got a shelf, you've got a shelf life. You're going to die soon. And it's not to be insensitive to that, but it's, it's to, to look and take a moment and gaze into scripture and see this incredible story. Uh, and even his heart to, God, I want to defend your people. God, I want to lead your people. I want your people to 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 not be captivated and captured uh, by by the Assyrians. And so, I actually never thought about it before until Evan said something. So, I thought that was a cool highlight too. Um, and and again, as as kind of we we see this kind of rhythm every now every you know pretty consistently throughout the weeks as we're reading, uh, we'll be hitting in the Book of Psalms as well. And uh, and this week we'll read a few Psalms as, uh, too. And uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to understand the context with the, what's the, with which the psalm was written. Uh, and so Psalm 113, I want to take a quick moment to highlight uh, because I think it provides an interesting challenge uh, for us. But uh, it's just a short hymn of praise. Uh, it celebrates the way uh, in which God, uh, who is great and majestic, rules over everything, uh, takes time to notice the lowly. Uh, and if that is who God is, uh, truthfully, which we see it in scripture, uh, then it definitely is a reminder for us that it's, he's worthy to be praised by all mankind. Uh, and so I'm going to read this Psalm. It's nine verses. Uh, and then I've got just a thought that I want to encourage us with. It says this in verse one of uh, Psalms chapter 113, hallelujah, give praise servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, let the name of the Lord be blessed both now and forever. From the rising of the sun to the setting, that the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is exalted above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? The the language of stoops down is important. He raises the poor, another important piece, from the dust and and lifts the needy from the trash heap in order to seat them with nobles, with the nobles of his people. He gives the childless woman a household, making her joyful 
her the joyful mother of her children. Hallelujah. Uh, and it's such an incredible uh, reminder and challenge. I think it goes with this first, first Corinthians conversation. It goes with the challenge and the tension as as people who represent Christ, who were called to not uh, live in um, in our own selfish motives and our own selfish ways. But it, it, this this psalm challenges our perspective on people, uh, and it's one thing to have sympathy. It's one thing to have empathy, but it's also that, like. God, who is the most majestic, who's the most powerful, who's the most extravagant being in person out there. I don't know if he's whatever, um, but he's the most incredible individual. Uh, and he looks from his high place above the earth, above his creation, above the universe. And it says he stoops down. It says he raises the poor to sit with nobles. He he gives the childless. And the thing is, in biblical context, to be childless and a woman, to be barren was not a good thing. It actually was a, a really, the, the the reputation that you carried, the um, the social status that you carried was not good. Uh, and so the picture that God steps from on high to be present, it's, a, it's an illusion or not illusion. It's a, it's a foretelling of Jesus coming uh, and being God in man form to meet the needs of his people, to draw them into his family and to raise them up to sit among uh, follow the fellow followers of Christ and the future believers. Um, it challenge, it should challenge the way you and I think. It should challenge the way that you and I see individuals in our workplace. It should see, challenge the way we see them in our church family. We should see challenge the way we see them in, our, in the streets in Marysville or Snohomish County or across the world. <coughs> Excuse me. But it should challenge the way that we see them because God does not take his position. And we see this in Philippians, but God does not take his position as something he's entitled to, but he understands the call to love, care, and serve those who are around them. And so as, as followers of Christ, this passage should challenge you and I in how we perceive. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to uh, end this episode today. Sorry if you hear Aaron dying over there in the corner. Uh, he's a little, I made it through. He's a little under the weather this week. Uh, but thank you for listening and checking us out. Um, and we ask that, you know, if you could leave a five-star review on whatever device you're listening on, that would be great. And really just helps us to get the podcast out there uh, to more people. And just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can check out all of our other resources on our website at grove.church. Do it.